0: All right, take your Bibles, go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we're going to pick up this morning in verse 48 and then read on down through the end of the chapter. So we have walked through all seven I Am statements of Jesus. And, and now, this week and next week, we're going to t- kind of tack on a couple that, that are not considered in the uh, in the traditional I Am statements of Jesus, but that I think are, are just as important for us, and so uh, this morning we're going to look at Jesus's most explicit claim to be God in the flesh. Um, th- this morning, where He de- declares, "Before Abraham was, I am." We'll look at um, the way the Pharisees reacted, and we'll look at uh, what they clearly understood Jesus to be saying. Um, I know, the moment in our culture, the moment you make this claim that Jesus is God, uh, you are drawing a line in the sand. uh, Because suddenly you can't get away with just saying, well, he was a a decent teacher. And and we've said this before. um, If you look at all the other uh, religious leaders that have claimed to be God, no one looks at them and says, well, you know, they made some decent points. I mean, you know. They were off their rocker, but but they, they had some decent stuff for us to follow. No, we, we discount everything they said um, because their base claim that, that they were God isn't true. And um, so uh, th- this morning we're going to examine this statement of Jesus. And it's, it's interesting, I was watching a video this week on, on YouTube of a uh, Muslim who, uh, who was making the claim, of course, that Jesus was not really God, and in fact, never claimed to be God And and there was a, a, a Christian believer there who asked him about this passage. Well, he says, before Abraham was, I am, he uses the name of God for himself. And, and this Muslim kept going round and round, but he never says, I am God. You can kind of see the, the, the Christian go, but he, but he uses God's name for himself. He says, I am. And the Muslim goes, yes, of course, he says, I am. He doesn't say, I am God. He says, I am. And it's just like, you know, he refuses to, to see. So here's what, here's what I want to do. We did this last week. We all stood and we read the passage together. I want to invite you to do the same thing again. Let's stand. The, the verses will be on the screen. And let's read together aloud the word of the Lord. Um, John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. The Jews responded to him. Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you claim to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say to you, I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, You aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you so much for the chance just to gather together to read your word aloud and to have you speak to us. Will you open our eyes this morning to who Jesus really is? And when we place our faith in him, we place our faith in all that you are as almighty God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, you can, you can take a seat. So, so a big chunk of what I'm going to do this morning is what we call apologetics, or, or a defense of the faith. And, and so uh, we're just going to examine this claim this morning, asking what evidence is there that Jesus was God. And I have four things that we're going to look at um, really quickly. Before we do, there are a couple of highlights in this text that I want us to, to take a look at. Um, Jesus said in, in verse 50, he said, "I don't seek my own glory, but there is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death." So, so, there Jesus is saying, "Listen, I'm not not trying to bring glory to myself here, but rather, he's saying, if you if you follow me, you will you are following the Father, because he says the the Father seeks the glory of Christ." And so, listen, I, I don't pretend to understand all that. Um, that is involved in our doctrine of the Trinity and our understanding that that we have one God who's made up of three persons and and how those persons interact with one another. There are a lot of uh, folks who have tried to come up with um, illustrations to explain how it works, and all of them fall miserably short because this is something that, that I believe our finite brains are not meant to comprehend, but rather we are meant to trust that the Bible declares we have one God who's made up of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are separate and yet equal and co-eternal in the Godhead. Um, Is that confusing enough for you? Okay, good. (laughs) Um, And so, listen, so these guys go back, so the Pharisees then go back to Abraham, who they considered kind of their, the the founding father of of everything that they believed, right? So they went back to Abraham, and and I love this. uh, So they ask, are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died, And so um, Jesus is saying, if anyone follows after me, he's never going to see death. And they go, wait a second. Abraham died. All the prophets died. Who are you? I love that. And then um, Jesus goes on and talks about, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Uh, In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we're told about the, the saints of old. If you remember, I believe it's, uh, it's down, uh, I want to say verse 13. Don't quote me on that. It's definitely in Hebrews 11. But it says that all these died without seeing the promise fulfilled, but they had faith that God was going to fulfill what he had promised. That, that even though they didn't see it with their own eyes, they saw it with the eyes of faith because they knew the God they were trusting in, and they knew that he is faithful to keep his promises. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Listen, Abraham trusted God that that what God promised he would do. And, uh, and of course, then the the Jews said, you you aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham. And and this is the the key verse that we're going to focus on this morning, the thing on which everything else hinges, is this statement by Jesus. Before Abraham was, I am. No, he didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. I am. Am. And that's important because as we looked at the very beginning of this series in Exodus 3.14, that is the very statement that when Moses says, Hey, listen, what am I going to tell them? Or what am I going to tell the children of Israel? When I go back and say, Hey, uh, God sent me to you. And they say, What's his name? What do I say? God responds, I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And we're going to look at that verse again in just a second. And that's the very name that Jesus uses for himself here. I am. And the Pharisees clearly understood what he was trying to do because they lose their ever-loving minds and pick up stones and try to kill him. And we'll look at all that for a second, but that's that's actually where we're going first. So so if we're asking what evidence is there for the claim that Jesus is God, the first thing I want you to understand is this. Scripture declares it. Okay? Scripture declares that Jesus is God. I have a couple of verses here. Um Paul writes in a couple of places. So in Philippians 2, verses 5 and 6, this is a great hymn that that Paul uh, writes here that that talks about who Christ was, that he'll one day be exalted uh, in all the earth. And under the earth, he says this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. And he goes on to say, but but, uh, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when he says here that um, Jesus existed in the form of God, the, the, the way that's written in the Greek is to say that he was in his very nature, in his very essence, God. He didn't just look like him in everything that God is, every, everything that God uh, that exists about God existed in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul is declaring. And yet, in that, Christ didn't consider that equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself to come and to pay for your sins and my sins on the cross. In Colossians, uh, Paul's going to say this about... Christ. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. So so here Paul cues us into something else. That In Genesis 1.1, where it simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What Paul just did is he says, listen, right there where it says God created everything, it was Christ Jesus who was doing the creating. Scripture declares to us that Christ is God. And then John 1.1, 1, 1, which simply says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. By the way, if you have any friends who are uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, in, in their translation of, of Scripture here, in the New World Translation, um, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a... God, with a little g. Our scripture declares the word was God, the one and only God, big G. Okay? So, in case that wasn't enough, in case the fact that scripture declares that Jesus is God, uh, we see in Jesus' own life that he demonstrated this truth As well. As we've seen in the text before us, he used God's personal name for himself. Keep in mind that Jews would not even use the name Yahweh uh, in in conversation. They they thought that name was so holy that instead they they took the, the vowels from that name, Yahweh, and they created the name Jehovah. And that was how they addressed God. And so, Jesus comes not only using this word Yahweh that the the Jews thought was too holy to be used, but he uses it for himself. And he says, um, before Abraham was Yahweh, I am. And clearly, as I said, the Jews understood, because we're told in verse 59 they picked up stones to throw at him. I told you Exodus 3.14, which we looked at a couple of months ago now, It says, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Pharisees. I am has sent me to you. And the reason the Jews, when when Jesus uses this name for himself, the reason the Jews pick up the stones in verse 59 uh, is because that stoning to death was the sentence for blaspheming, for taking God's name in vain, for using his name inappropriately. In in fact, in Leviticus 24, 16, it says this, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The whole community is to stone him. If he blasphemes the name, he is to be put to death, whether the resident, alien, or the native. So if you blaspheme the name of God, you're you're, you're, you're to be put to death. So the Jews here clearly understand what Jesus just did. He used the name of God for himself, which gives us two options. Either he was who he said he was, or... He should have been stoned, according to the law. That's, that is, those are the only two options that the Jews had. And clearly they didn't want to accept Jesus as Lord. But here's the thing, not only did, not only did Jesus use this name for himself, because that in and of itself is not sufficient to, to say he demonstrated that, that he was God, but rather what we see in a few different places is that Jesus makes the declaration, uh, your sins are forgiven. In fact, I've put three and I just put the verses or the, the uh, references here. You don't have to go looking them up, uh, but three different places where where Jesus says to someone, your sins are forgiven, which is something only God can do. Only God has power to forgive sin. Uh, Matthew nine, one through eight. We have a paralytic. And, and Jesus um, tells him your your sins are forgiven. And they say, why? Why?" How? Religious leaders say, you can't do that. You don't have the power to forgive sins. And, and Jesus says, all right, to, to prove to you that, that I do, in fact, have power to, to forgive sins, take up your mat and walk. You, uh, you crippled guy, pick it up, go home. And he does, and everybody goes, well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> right? Like, like that, that's not supposed to happen. He says it again in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, which is the story of the, friend, the friends who bring their friend to Jesus and they can't get in the house, so they, they hoist him up on the roof, tear a hole in the roof, and lower him right before Jesus. Now, now listen, those are some committed friends who are taking their friend to Jesus. And, and in that, I, I see a, a conviction. I feel, man, who, who, who in my life? Do I need to bring to Jesus? Now, now, granted, I mean, this guy was this guy was paralyzed, so I mean, well, what was he going to do, right? No, put me down right now. No, no, but the, the friends loved him so much they carried him to Jesus, and in that, Jesus says, "Your sins are forgiven," because his ultimate need was not just to walk home. Ultimate need was that he would be healed spiritually, not just physically. And then in Luke 7, we have the story of Jesus coming into Simon's house. Simon was one of the religious leaders. And you have the, the sinful woman, we're told, who comes in and, and uh, washes Jesus' feet with her tears. And the religious leaders all know this lady, and apparently she's got quite the reputation around town. And, and they all thought at least Jesus was a prophet or something. But they're going, man, if he was a prophet, he wouldn't let this woman be near him. He wouldn't let a woman like that touch him. And Jesus perceiving their thoughts is what the Bible says. stops and says, hey, I have something for you. I have a question for you. Um, say somebody owed a little bit of money. And there was another guy who owed a whole bunch of money. And the, the, um, the lender canceled both debts. Wh- which one do you think would be more grateful? And they said, well, I guess the one that had the, who owed, owed the most money. And then Jesus says, you know, I, I came in here and you didn't, you didn't give me perfume. You, you didn't greet me with a kiss. You, you didn't wash my feet. And yet she's come in. She has not stopped kissing my feet. And now she's wiping my feet with her tears. He who's been forgiven much, loves much. And then he looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus talked in a way that nobody else talked. He demonstrated that he had power to forgive sins in a way that only God can. He demonstrated that he was God. Another thing that's really interesting, um, so so we've seen that the scripture declares Jesus to be God. We've seen that Jesus demonstrated it. The, The third thing I want us to consider this morning is that the disciples died for that truth, that Jesus was God. Each and every one of the disciples, with the exception of Judas Iscariot, who was around Jesus but was never really in Christ. Now let's stop and consider that for a second. Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus's twelve one of the guys that walked with him everywhere he went and what we see in Judas's life through the fruit of his life is that he was around Christ but he was never in Christ. I wonder if there's a danger today that we could spend our whole lives around Christ and never be in him. You know, I've said before if you if you hang out here long enough, you can pick up on some of the language that we use. You can pick up on the way we do things. You can even learn some of the songs. You can stand when we stand. You can sit when we sit. You might even learn to put some money in the offering plate when it comes by. No, those are bad things. Those are all good things. that can help you grow in Christ. But none of them will cause you to be in Christ. The one way we come to be Christ is to repent, to turn away from sins, and to trust. Turn from sin. Trust in Christ. And Judas never did that. In fact, as as you well know, he ends up betraying and selling out Jesus, and then he's so filled with remorse because of his actions that he goes and hangs himself uh, right after um, Jesus is arrested. So we're left with 11 disciples, 10 of whom will end up giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. Now, ironically, the first disciples Christian martyr that we're told about in, in Acts chapter 7 is not one of the original disciples. It's Stephen who was appointed as one of the first deacons in Acts chapter 6. And this is, what, uh, this is how we're told Stephen's life ended. Acts chapter 7, we're going to look at verse 56 and then verse 60. Stephen said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then verse 60 says, he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And after saying this, he died. As he's being stoned to death, he cries out the same words that Christ cried out on the cross. Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. So the first martyr was not one of the original uh, 11 remaining disciples, but... We know that uh, through through history, that the other, that the remaining eleven suffer, suffered intense persecution. So Simon Peter, um, who, who was kind of appointed as Jesus as the the earthly leader of of this new movement that came to be called Christians, uh, was eventually martyred in Rome during the reign of Emperor Nero. And the story is told. History tells us that Peter requested to be crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. And um, another history account tells us that, that Peter was first forced to watch his wife be crucified, and then he was crucified upside down. Uh, Andrew, who brought his brother Peter to Christ, if you remember, um, according to a fifth, 15th century uh, historian, um, Andrew was sc- 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 <laughs> can't say that word, scourged and then uh, tied rather than nailed to a cross. He was tied so that he would suffer for a longer period um, without dying. Uh, James was um, uh, eventually beheaded. Philip was scourged, thrown into prison, eventually crucified. Bartholomew, history tells us, was skinned alive and then beheaded. Uh, Thomas was run through with a spear. Matthew, the tax collector, we're told, was stabbed in the back by a swordsman. James, uh, one of the Jameses, who's the son of Alphaeus, or who's called James the Lesser, was beaten and stoned by persecutors, uh, who then killed him by hitting him in the head with a club. Thaddeus, or who we know as Jude, um, was crucified. Simon the Zealot was crucified. And John, by the way, the John, who's writing this, was the only disciple of the remaining 11 not to die for his faith, and it's not for lack of trying. Uh, the Romans boiled him in oil. Now, now, the Romans got pretty good at killing their uh, opponents. I mean, if, they, if, if you were sentenced to death, the Romans were going to find some pretty creative, horrific way for you to die. And and for John, they sentenced him to be boiled in oil. And he survived. And that freaked him out because that didn't usually happen. Usually that worked. And uh, so he he ends up disfigured and, and scarred. And they exile him to the island of Patmos, which is where he is when he receives the revelation. Now, why on earth would I go through in detail and tell you how all these disciples died? because there is a belief that the disciples, that these 12 men, made up this story about Jesus. That maybe even they snuck in and stole Jesus' body to make it look like he had been raised on the third day. And then they went about proclaiming this lie that Jesus had raised from the dead. And here's why that's preposterous. Because at the moment that Peter's about to be crucified would be a really good time to go, you know, guys, we made the whole thing up. You know, it was, you know, gotcha. That was a good one, right? I mean, that, that would be a really good time to say we were just kidding. And yet every single of these men suffered intensely for their faith, declaring to the end that Jesus was Lord. You know, I think I shared this quote a while back. Um, Charles Coulson, who was embroiled in the uh, Watergate scandal in in President Nixon's administration, was sent to prison, did some time in in prison for uh, for his role in in the uh, Watergate scandal and the subsequent cover-up. And later he he found Christ in prison, went on to uh, uh, found uh, a prison ministry that is still thriving today. And he said this, he said, uh, Watergate embroiled 12 of the world's most powerful men in a lie. He said, and we couldn't keep that lie for three weeks. He said, you're telling me that these 12 disciples made up this lie, and for the next 40 years, 40, in some cases, 50 years, proclaimed this to their death, never once denying it. Chuck Colson says it's impossible, and he said, that's what eventually caused him to cross the line of faith and trust in Jesus Christ because he knew what it looked like to be involved in a lie and how quickly things fell apart when a little bit of pressure was applied so there's no way these men suffered the way they did and kept a lie these men believed with all their hearts that Jesus was who he said he was that they saw him raised raised from the dead on the third day. And here's the last thing. Here's why I say, uh, and and when I ask, the last question I want us to, or the last thing I want us to look at when we ask uh, what evidence is there that to, to validate Jesus' claim that he was God, the last thing is simply this. Our faith demands it. Our faith demands it. Acts 4. Peter's preaching. He says this, this Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You know, one of the things I love about Peter uh, you know, in, in, in the Gospels, he's Peter's a little rough around the edges, right? I mean, he, we, we see some high points and some low points. We see him uh, declaring, uh, you know, Jesus, you are the son of God. And then Jesus turns around in the next paragraph and says, OK, here's the, here's the story, guys. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested and crucified. And Peter goes, no, you're not. It's not going to happen to you. So. Jesus goes from, from declaring Peter, saying, uh, Peter, man, or man has not revealed this to you. You've been revealed by, by my Father in heaven. Blessed are you to being called Satan in the next paragraph. Okay? That, that's kind of a, boy, you talk about highs and lows right there. Then remember Jesus saying, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to go to Jerusalem and you all are going to run away. And Peter says, not me. Jesus says, oh, Peter. If you only know so so he's he's a little rough around the edges he gets arrested for preaching here and early on in acts and they beat them and tell, beat him and john and tell them not to preach anymore and they release him from prison with this with this warning don't don't go preaching anymore and it says they left um, grateful that they'd been counted worthy to suffer for the name of jesus and you know what they do they go right back to the spot where they were arrested and start preaching i love it right Love it. And this is where he declares there's salvation in no one else. We looked at that just a couple of weeks ago with when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he declares this: If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. And so what he's saying there is, is listen, you know, I've heard this. Before, Well, even if it's not true, even if Jesus wasn't really who he claimed to be, uh, it's still a decent way to live your life. And Paul would say, no, no, if, if what Jesus claimed about himself isn't true, you are a fool for believing it. And so here's, here's the questions that I want to wrap up with this morning. If, if you're already a believer... The simple question is this, will you continue turning and trust, turning from sin and trusting in Christ? That's the basis of what it means to, for this process of what we call sanctification, which means just being shaped and being molded into the image of Christ so that I look more like Jesus now than I did last year. And tomorrow, by the grace of God, maybe I'll look a little bit more like Jesus than I do today. And how do we do that? We keep turning from sin and trusting in Christ. Now there's a one time uh, moment where we cross that line of faith where we said I turned from sin and I trusted in Christ. But then anyone who's a believer will tell you that's also a daily process. Now I can rest in the fact that I've, that I've been brought from death to life in Christ Jesus. That's a one way street. There's no going back. I'm not going to hit a sin quota and he kicks me out. But it's a daily process of turning from sin and trusting in Christ I pray that looking afresh at who Jesus is that he is God in the flesh would give you strength and would give you power to turn from sin and to trust in Christ to trust that what he offers and what he has said is better than what the world offers and what the world says Maybe you're here this morning and you said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that I've ever taken that step. I'm not sure I've ever turned from sin and trusted in Christ. Oh, that today would be the day. That you would pray and ask the Lord to come in, forgive sin, and give you eternal life starting today. That you would do the same thing that Jesus asked of his disciples. When he came up to those fishermen by the the side of the sea mending their nets after after a long day out fishing, you know what Jesus' call to him was? It was real simple. He just said, follow me. Follow me. Have you followed Christ? You know, there's a truth that um, I don't don't care how great of a Christian or, or, or even how big of a sinner your your grandparents or your parents or your brother or sister or anyone else is because there comes a point where you have to answer for yourself and this is the question Jesus asked in Matthew 16 right before this Jesus asks his disciples well who do people say I am his disciples have have heard some people talking so they said you know some say that you're uh, Elijah one of the prophets maybe you're even John the Baptist come back to life and Jesus says okay Now, who do you say I am? See, that's the question on which everything hinges. Not does who the world say, who who does the world say Christ is? Who does your neighbor say Christ is? Who do you say he is? Have you trusted in him as Lord and Savior? If not, I pray today's the day. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance just to gather together and to open up your word. Thank you for Jesus making it incredibly clear that he was God himself come to earth. That he was Emmanuel, God with us. That he not only showed us what you are like, he showed us how you relate to us, undeserving humans. And and he showed how you respond to sin. I pray today for those of us in the room who have trusted in Christ that that this would be a boost, that this would be an encouragement, that we can keep turning from sin and trusting in Christ because your ways are good, your ways are better than what the world has to offer. For those in the room that maybe have not yet made that decision and and, Cross that line of faith saying today's the day I turn from sin and I trust in Christ that today would be the day. That today's the day they would say yes to the call that you've placed on all of our lives to follow after you. May we turn from sin. May we trust in Christ. Move in these next few moments. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.